CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, we're live at the NASDAQ in New York City. Carter, Cohen, Dan are getting ready for a big show. Here's what's coming up. Disney shares have been on a magical rally. And one of the traders says its run is far from over. He'll tell you how to play it. Plus, that sums up what happened to semis today. And Carter and Dan say it's about to get much worse for the group. They will break it down. And later, at leisure stocks are on fire this year. But Mike Coe says there's one name that could be about to take a hit. He'll tell you the name and how to dodge the sell-off. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins now. And we start off with the semis getting crushed today after Broadcom lowered its guidance, citing demand and trade worries. The SMH Semiconductor ETF sinking nearly 3% as the key players in the space fall deeper into a bear market. So, will the semi smackdown continue? Let's get straight to the chart master, Carter Worth. Carter. Well, it's a big old mess in the sense that semis were so strong and drew in so much capital, and it was one of the greatest head fakes of all time, a classic a trap, a false breakout. In fact, let's just look at it and start with that. This is a three, four-year chart of the semiconductor index, the SOX, and you can see the breakout. Let's put the line on there. When you draw in a lot of money and it ends up being wrong, that money that pushed it higher becomes an accelerant on the way out as people have to reverse their positions. So not a good setup. Now, most importantly, how do we know that it was always going to be a trap? It's all about relative performance, meaning the cyclical trade If you look here, what we know is that even though semis broke out, their relative performance to the tech sector never was working. So again, put the lines in here and you'll see this. Basically, there's your breakout, but it was never confirmed, meaning you weren't actually outperforming as a tech or TMT portfolio manager because picks here were still doing worse than other things one could have chosen within one's benchmark or index. And then from there, let's look at this. That's the dot-com high. That's literally March of 2000. What do we know? It was also a trap in this sense. It, quote, broke out just above the dot-com only to fall back and fail. And this is a horrible kind of setup longer term. So here is the ETF SMH. So many ways to draw the lines, but one of several ways would be this, a classic trend and a break-in trend. Another way to draw the lines, of course, would be this which is it's a fairly well-defined head and shoulders top on a minor basis with the neckline right in play and a break of this, which is the presumption, would give you something down into the mid to low 90s. It closed at 102 and change today. Not good sell. All right. Thanks, Carter. Well, usually it's Cohen Carter, but today it's Nathan and Carter. So, Dan, what's your semi-trade? I just couldn't resist, obviously. <laughs> he wants to sell the semis. I want to be with him. I, I think the charts are really interesting. They set up pretty you know, you know, pretty well here. I think what's most important, if you think about over the last couple months since we had that sell-off in the market and then that quick recovery, you know, the, the NASDAQ composite sold off, peaked to trough about 10%. The S&P about 7.5%. The semis about 20%. And they haven't made a whole heck of a lot of it back. And then I look at the funny mentals, as Carter likes to call them. You look at Broadcom last night, and that guidance that they gave, I think that's the start of something 
something that we're going to see when we get into Q2 earnings season. So to me, I think it's pretty simple. He just said he thinks <clears throat> you see a retracement back to maybe the mid to low 90s. I'll just target 90. The 80 was the low back in Christmas or so. Um, and I think a break below 100, you kind of find yourself in the low 90s over the next couple months. I'd look out to August expiration when this, the ETF was trading at 103 this afternoon. You could buy the August 190 put spread, paying $2.50 for, uh, for that. Buying one of the August 100 puts for $3.60, selling one of the August 90 puts at $1.10. It costs you $2.50. That is your max risk between $97.5 and $90. You can make up to $7.5 uh, between $97.5 and $100. And above that, you lose that $2.5. You're risking 2.5% of the stock price to possibly make 3x your money. You're defining your risk. You are pressing a short. It is controversial. This is also a name where if there was some magical relief to this trade war, this group is going to rocket back pretty quickly. But I'm just not playing for that. I think we're going to have this thing pushed out over the course of the summer, coupled with some bad earnings guidance. Just a question in terms of uh, before looking at the structure of the trade. I mean, that might be the case if trade sort of gets resolved. But there are also cycle peaks in semis prospectively, and it is not random that it stopped right dead cold at that dot-com era high. You know, talking about just the nature of pricing in cyclical stocks, it's interesting, you know, you often will see stocks look cheapest at the top and look most expensive at the bottom, and that's because basically you're looking at your trailing earnings. This is one of those situations. If you take a look at where Broadcom, for example, is trading on a valuation basis, it is actually more expensive in terms of forward valuation today than it was before we saw this decline. That's how much further those expectations have dropped than the stock has, which indicates that there could be further downside. With respect to the structure, it makes a lot of sense, too. We talk about put spreads a lot, and usually we like to use them when you have a situation there's either a catalyst coming up that raises implied volatilities. Here's a situation where you have a basket of stocks. Oftentimes, the volatility of those is less. It's not actually here. Actually, as I look at it right now, the implied volatility in SMH is close to 30. That's very high for a basket of stocks for some form of an index, even though it's just a sector here. And so it makes a lot of sense to try to mitigate the higher cost of those options in this kind of an environment by using something like a put spread. And that ratio, two and a half bucks for a $10 spread, makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and I want to make one other point. You know, we like to look at darlings that are leading groups like this. And NVIDIA was a darling for years and years. And when that stock broke uh, earlier this year, it broke hard. And it's down. It's been cut in half, basically. And it's banging along the bottom. It's 15% from those recent lows. I think if you have a darling like this really break, then it's kind of lights out for the group. And I want to make one last point, because everyone's like, we'll point to AMD. Well, AMD has a fraction of the sales of like, some of their biggest competitors. It's got uh, a third of the market cap is in NVIDIA. I'd rather take my cues off of the bigger guys, NVIDIA, what they're doing, than one out of the, you know, just out of the park name like AMD. From a semi-smackdown to the battle for streaming supremacy, Disney's surging to new highs this week as Wall Street bets big on the stock ahead of its Disney Plus debut this fall. Shares are up nearly 30% since momentum behind the streaming play first started building back in March. Meanwhile, rival Netflix shares have sunk into a bear market. Mike here says this Disney dominance will continue. So what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, so let's just talk about Disney as a company, first of all. I mean, it's, it's a much more stable and kind of a play to make, I think, the Netflix. Netflix, obviously, we've for a long time been seeing that it's an expanding space, but this is not a company that's been generating significant free cash flow. Disney, on the other hand, is a proven player in the space. Obviously, they seem to be moving their business in the correct direction. They have a couple of winners as well. Avengers Endgame, I think, is an interesting situation. The stock has been performing well, and the valuation is not unreasonable. It's trading around 21 times earnings. We've seen some good stuff coming out of ESPN. For me, from a fundamental standpoint, almost everything 
looks good. We obviously are going to have some earnings coming up. The only thing that concerns me here is that the stock has indeed been as strong as it has. We've had this huge move up. So what do you do if you don't own the stock? You want to, but you're just concerned about the fact that you've had that appreciation and you want to get long, but you are a little bit worried about that sort of upwards gap. I think the way you can look to play something like this is using a call spread risk reversal. We're trying to deal with the fact that options prices around that event might be slightly elevated, but also we're trying to give ourselves a way to participate to the near upside without having to participate to the near downside in the event that it might give some of that back. The trade I was looking at was the August 130, 145, 155 call spread. Spend $4.30 for the 145 calls and then sell the 155 calls for $1.60 and the 130 puts for $1.85 to help finance it. So the idea here is that you're going to get participation above, you know, 146 and change essentially. Those wing options are actually going to decay a little bit faster uh, than the at the money option will. So even though you are laying out a bit, a bit of premium, I don't think the decay is going to be that bad. Worst case, the stock is going to fall. You're going to have it put to you at 130, a little bit more than that. But you're basically going to offset the chance, if there is a gap back down, uh, that you participate there. So you're going to get long, eh, just a little bit higher than where it was before it broke out. So, I mean, the, 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 the entire subject all is defined by the gap, right? So Disney was in a five-year range. It was stuck 120, 120. And rather than trading two to four million shares, it gaps up on 65 million shares. It's effectively an IPO, meaning it's a new security. Past price doesn't matter. It is not steep. It's not overbought. I think it has more room to run, and it's the kind of thing you want to be involved with one way or another. Wow. Yeah, so Mike said a couple things about the trade structure, really interesting. He said the wings are going to decay faster. That's the out-of-the-money put, and that's the out-of-the-money call. And he's short both of them, and that's by design, because he really wants this trade structure to give him a little room on slippage. And he's also saying that the worst-case scenario, I'm basically putting an order in and the stock to buy it down at 130. And to Carter's point about that gap, that's where it gaps straight to when it went there. I think it's going to have a lot of support there. So if margin's not an issue in your trading account, this is a really great way to finance an upside call spread in a name that has really positive sentiment and a couple identifiable catalysts and in the fall. I think one of the reasons it's trading like a new security, like a new stock, is because of new businesses. And it actually is the streaming business. If you take a look at the valuation that has been thrown on other businesses, like Netflix, you would say that Disney looks enormously cheap by comparison. And I think it does. And I think this is a way that you can participate without being concerned that you're getting in a little too late. Right. And interestingly, of course, Netflix, which is the sort of the other side of this, Netflix is dormant. I mean, the thing is literally stopped trading. It's in a very tight range. Equilibrium does persist, but it doesn't last forever. Something will come along to break it out or break it down. And the truth is here and now it's a pair of twos. It's a non-trade. It's a non-hand. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our super cool newsletter. It is the best thing since sliced bread. Really. Here's what's coming up next. Activewear is hot, but Mike Coe says there's one name in the space making him more like an active bear. He will tell you the name and how to play it. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to Options Action. After sprinting out of the gate to all-time highs earlier this year, Nike shares have taken a tumble. The stock falling more than 7% from its April record, underperforming rivals Under Armour and Lululemon. And with earnings later this month, Mike says it might be time to bench the stock. He's over at the Plaza with a call to action. Mike. Yeah, so let's take a look at Nike. They're going to be reporting earnings on the 27th, so a little less than two weeks away. What are the things that concern me here? Certainly the first of them is the valuation. Nike's trading at quite a high valuation. We have a chart that will give you some sense of where that is. Obviously, we have an upcoming catalyst. Is the stock going to go materially higher? Is it going to go materially lower? Is it just going to stick around here? We're going to take a look at that as well. And specifically, one of the things that I've noticed is that over the course of the last two years, once they've reported earnings, they actually haven't performed all that well coming out of it. So let's take a look. Step one, we're going to take a look at the trailing earnings. And we'll see if we can clear these little check marks just to get a sense of this. Right now, it is trading about 32 times trailing earnings. This peak right here, just to put things in perspective, is less than 35 times. So we're just off of the all-time high valuations that we've seen going back 10 years. So that's certainly one area of concern. What's another area of concern? Well, we can take a look here. Over the last eight quarters, looking a month from when they reported, how's the stock done? Well, the best it has done is up 1.9%. The worst it's done is down almost 6%. And on average, it's down about 1.3%. So putting in all of those things together, combined with that valuation number, it's hard to see how the stock can go materially higher coming out of the earnings on the 27th. Here we can take a look at the stock chart. So what I'm trying to do here is figure out essentially what level I'm looking to target. I'm looking right back at this level that we just came from here. That's about 77 and a half bucks. What is the trade structure? I'm looking at a calendar spread. We talk about these a lot because we want to sell the elevated options premiums going into an event and own that longer dated options that will decay a little bit less. Here I can buy the 77 and a half puts that expire in September. Those are going to cost me two bucks and I can sell the ones that expire in July. For $1, net-net, I'm going to spend $1 to take this, to put this spread on. Now, this chart is actually a little bit deceiving. Why is that? Because actually, if the stock does this, it just comes down to this level right here after earnings, this put is going to increase in value. But this one may well expire worthless. So you can still see profits in this region after earnings as that option decays away and this one could appreciate in this region. And obviously the sweet spot is going to be right around 77 and a half, 78 bucks at July expiration. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Dan, what do you think? So I like the trade structure and I like the idea um, because when you think about it, go back to mid-March when the company reported last, the stock got hit 6.5% the next day and it was coming off a high from just not too far before that. And one of the main reasons was decelerating sales growth in North America, obviously a very important region for them. Um, And then they got it lower to, uh, you know, low single-digit sales growth for the current quarter. So you may say to yourself, well, maybe they just have low enough guidance that they can beat when they report in a couple weeks. But it also may be the case that this is the sort of name that may be faced with the same sort of headwinds that we're seeing by others in this uh, kind of global supply chain and this tariff situation may be hurting them. So I like Mike's fundamental view and I like the trade structure. Carter? And, and you know, there's just an old time technical spread. The stock doesn't act well. Uh, people understand it in sports, the pitcher's sort of not doing well. You get them out of there. So this is a stock that's showing all the things 
that would suggest distribution. There's heavy volume selling, the rallies are on light volume. Then it has another instance of heavy volume selling and makes an incremental new low. It looks to me it's going to the low 70s. You know, another interesting thing to me is, you know, we often talk about beta. You know, if you're worried about the market rolling over, you want to be in lower beta names, obviously, because you'd be mitigating your risk. Here's something kind of interesting. So this one has a beta of about 0.83. You'd think it's lower risk. Take a look at how it performed last year. Peak to trough, the thing declined almost 21%. What did the market do? It declined 23%. That doesn't seem low beta on the downside. And why is that? It has to do with these high valuations. It has to do with high expectations. When you put those two things together, the downside can have a lot of air in it. That concerns me. Yeah, and I would just make one point about the trade structure. So Mike went into the calendar aspect of it. If you actually are really bearish, and let's just say you agree with Carter, you think it doesn't act well, and let's say you look at the charts and you say, well, this thing could be back at 75 where it was a month ago. You know, Mike's trade structure is okay. You'll make some money. But if you're really convicted on the fundamental metals, you're going to miss and guide down again, and you don't like the, the, the whole trade situation, and you don't like the, um, you know, the chart setup, then you do want to actually target maybe a put spread, right, where you're risking what you would basically be, you know, possibly making if the stock were to go down towards your short strike at 77 and a half. And that short strike term. might very well stay the same, actually. Right. So that's right. a very good point. You know, if you're trying to make, you're getting more bang for your buck, but you need more things to go your way that's to right. make that bet. And that's the thing. You know, what does the market do generally at, over any 30-day stretch? Almost two-thirds of the time, it's actually higher. So those make those low-probability bets. In this case, though, I do think that there's more danger to the downside than there is really a risk that is going to pop on you. All right. Up next, gold hitting its highest level more than a year. But uh, the chart master says there's another metal trader should be looking at ahead of the Fed next week. He'll explain. Plus, hey, you options fans out there, got a question for one of the traders? I know you do. Well, dig deep into those pockets, pull out your phone, send us a tweet. Twat Options Actions. Uh, we will try to answer the, uh, the question later on in the show. We are live from the NASDAQ in New York City. Much more Options Actions straight ahead. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at a couple of our open trades. Just last week, Cohen Carter predicted gold's rally would shine on. We are making new relative highs right now it is bounced perfectly off of this relative line over and over and over and it did it again and now let me put in the top line we are just now you can see it here we just moved above that high i'm looking out to august the 127 133 call spread you could buy the 127 calls which were essentially at the money when i was looking at this earlier today two dollars and 65 cents sell the 133 call for a dollar against it well, gold just capped off its fourth straight week of gains. So, Mike, what are you doing now? You know, this actually demonstrates why we use spreads like this sometimes. The calls that we bought were 265. They're 230 now. 35 cents worth of decay. The ones we sold for a dollar are now 80. 20 cents worth of decay. So, much of the decay of the trade was mitigated by using a call spread instead of calls outright. I think we're well positioned. We've got 63 days to expiration. Right, and gold, well, not a great close. Hit a high of 1360 an ounce. 15 bucks an ounce off the high, but still a very bullish week and in principle bullish setup. And then there is, of course, silver, which the ratio to gold is a 26-year low. Mm. It's the ultimate beta trade if one is hoping or thinking there's more to come. The spillover effect in silver, when it does happen, it can be massive. All right. And back in May, Dan said Ford was gearing up to hit the gas. 
Trump has told us that he's going to meet with President Xi at the G20 on the weekend of June 28 in Japan. in Japan. And I think that if we start getting some building sentiment that we have a trade deal, a stock like Ford could really benefit. You could buy the June 28th 1050 calls, paying 30 cents for those. Those break even at 1080. You basically, your max risk is 3% of the stock price. The break even's up about 3.5-4%. Ford lost some steam since then, down about 4%. So what do you do now, Dan? First things first, I was playing hurt, and nobody acknowledged that back then. I don't think I, mean, I was you're, you're, That was probably so. hard on the years. Sorry about that, people. Well, here's <laughs> the thing. So like you said, Mel, the stock's down 4%. It does not look like we're going to have a trade deal. At that time, they had pushed out tariffs on autos, and I thought that if you had the one-two punch of a deal with, Canada, uh, with uh, China, then this thing starts to rally. But here's the thing. That uh, 1050 June 28th weekly call cost about 30 cents back then. Now it's worth about five. You don't sell it. It's a lotto ticket. You wait and see what happens over the next two weeks. Maybe you get some sort of announcement. Maybe autos rally. And at this point, um, you know, you have a very low premium bet that that would happen. What do you think of Ford, Carter? Ooh, that says it all. <laughs> In case you missed it, he would smirked and rolled his eyes. So well, what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, it verbally. Just, it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just that. What a roll of the eyes and a smirk might imply verbally. It, I mean, obviously, I get, well, the valuation to me just looks so cheap that any kind of good news, it does have some upside. But obviously, the market doesn't like it, and there's good reason for that. All right. Up next, your tweets and the final call. we got time for a tweet. Jim asks, when you're selling a covered call and the stock price keeps rising, when do you roll the call out and up? Dan. Yeah, Jim, great question. Um, a lot of different inputs, a lot of scenarios. I think the most important thing is if you're long a stock that you want to stay long, you better make sure that you roll it up and out prior to expiration or you will get called away if the stock is above that short strike. All right, time now for the final call. Last word from the options pitch. Carter Braxton Worth. Sell semiconductors, buy gold, buy silver. We have a very special guest trader tonight, Sam Coe. Sam? Buy Nike shoes, not Nike stock. Happy Father's Day. Couldn't have said it any better myself, but you want to use calendar <laughs> spreads in Nike to make that bet. He's excellent on that's, TV. That's one Good sharp kid Mike. right there. <laughs> Chip off the old block there. Yeah, uh, yeah so, uh, you know, listen, I think semis, I think you sell them on rallies. I like Carter, Carter's technical take, but I think put spreads over the course of the summer look great. And happy Father's Day to all the OA fans out there. Yep, and that does it for us here on Options Action. We'll see you back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.